everybody, it's Jeff Antoniak. Welcome to Digging Deeper Jazz videos. Really glad you're here. Uh, we've got the first of three videos, sort of some by request videos. Uh, watchers and listeners like you have asked for some great stuff. And today we're going to talk about bebop scales and dig into these. Some of you may know what these are, some of you don't know, but stick with this. We're going to sort of get into a great progression of how to practice this stuff. Next week, we're going to get to articulation related to the bebop scale. So that's actually huge for groove and feel and everything else. So uh, let's dig into this stuff. This is for all instruments, and this includes bass players coming up with bass lines, any melodic players. And bebop scales are great because they are the building blocks of a lot of classic jazz vocabulary, whether you want to call them licks or melodic devices or whatever. Vocabulary, stuff that your heroes play that you love, that you need to know how to play. Have to know the vocabulary. Number two, it's just fantastic finger technique exercise related to jazz, right? And then the third thing is, as I said, this sort of implies or demands really understanding how to articulate this stuff, these bebop scales. So we're going to get into that next video, so make sure you tune in next week for that one as well. Well, so we are at about a thousand subscribers here with these Digging Deeper videos. I started these on a lark practically, and there's a thousand folks out there subscribing who are into this information enough to subscribe. That's fantastic. Thank you for subscribing. If you haven't, please do. People enjoying this knowledge. And these are a lot of adult amateur players, but I know we have jazz professionals, teachers who are tuning in and sort of getting new ideas on what to teach and how to teach. We have younger folks too, but you know, for me, it's the adult amateurs. That's sort of the folks that I make my living working with and serving. So that's fantastic. And I know there are many thousands more that haven't subscribed that are watching these. That's fantastic too. So I feel good about uh, everybody tuning in and getting this good knowledge. Okay, let's uh, hear what this bebop scale stuff sounds like. That's sort of rolling eighth note stuff. I think everything I played there was sort of a fragment of a bebop scale. And by the way, I'll put the PDF for today up on the screen right now. You can sort of take a peek at this. What a bebop scale is, or, or the dominant bebop scale, is a scale that has both a major seventh and a flat seventh in it. It has eight notes. And I guess we would call the, you know, there's a ninth note, which is when we get back to the top of the scale. So now we're calling these bebop scales. Um, that's not a great name for these, because check this out. The Sousa scale, perhaps, the John Philip Sousa scale. So this scale has been around like everything in jazz. This, you know, this has ex existed long before jazz. The tritone substitute and enclosures, anything you want to imagine. The feel of jazz. There's a lot about jazz, okay, that's definitely very special and specific to jazz. But so many of the elements are borrowed from previous places. So this scale has existed before, right? And um, as you'll see on the sheet... Uh, it's really, you could think of it as a major scale with a flat seven added, not replaced, but added. Um, this is a dominant tonality though. So many of you know the Mixolydian scale. You certainly should by now. If not, check it out. Um, this is a Mixolydian scale with that extra chromatic passing tone. So, uh, what's the big deal? It's got an extra note in it. So, 
uh, a lot of people have observed that when we put that extra note in there, and if we start on the root, all of the chord tones, one, three, five, seven, fall on the beat. So I played one. So I played the root on beat one. Then beat two, I was on the third. One, two, three, right? On the next beat, I was on the fifth. On the next beat, I was on the flat seventh. And then on the downbeat of the last bar, I was on the root. So it's very interesting that all the chord tones line up on the beat. So that creates some sort of consonant sound. Let me add this in there. You can start, so if you start on the root and everything's on the beat, turns out you can start on any chord tone, on any beat, and all the chord tones will necessarily fall on the beat. So if I start the scale on the third, if I play, as you see on the sheet, the G mixolydian, or I'm sorry, the G bebop scale, uh, starting on the third. That's not on the sheet, but when I start on the third, it, it doesn't matter where you start, what chord tone, it, we're essentially alternating chord tone, non-chord tone, chord tone, non-chord tone. The major scale doesn't do that. The Dorian scale doesn't do that. The Mixolydian scale doesn't do that. The bebop scale doesn't, or I'm sorry, the blues scale doesn't do that. This is one of the few scales that does that. So that's kind of a big deal. The other thing is we end up on the note we started on four measure, four beats later. Started on the root, ended on the root. I'm going to come down to G blue scale starting on the third, the B. So wherever you start, you end up on that note and measure later. So that's a pretty cool thing for improvising, that we end up where we start. On most other scales, that's not the case. And you can end up in some kind of squirrely places or you need to sort of pivot back into position. So this bebop scale, what I'm suggesting for today is get this thing under your fingers. As I said, it's the basis of so much good jazz vocabulary, so know it, right? It's so great for your fingers to get those chromatic passing tones, but they're, I want to call it like a functional chromatic passing tone. It's a chromatic note in the right place. Let's just leave it there. Chromatic note in the right place that makes everything sound more right than if the chromatic note wasn't there. A lot of us play chromatic notes and it's, let's call it bullshit. Uh, it just throws everything off. It's not in the right place. So it's easy to play chromatically and sound bad. This is a way to add some chromaticism and sound fantastic, okay? So let's go back to that sheet. Here's what I want to talk about, just for a second for the teachers out there, but also for uh, those of us learning. This progression that I have, I have four different exercises on the sheet. So the first one is just starting, playing up the scale, coming back down. That will probably be the easiest way for someone to learn this and get this under their fingers because most of the scales you've learned, let's call it all the scales you've learned in your life, start at the bottom, they ascend up a root, you know, up an octave, come back down. So you're used to that. So let's start there. Great. Practice your 12 bebop scales that way. If this is new to you, just practice one or two or three. Don't worry about all 12 keys quite yet. Now, number two is actually the way I prefer for you to play it. I'd like for you to play the scale descending first. For two reasons. One, it's different. And I said one and held up two fingers. I don't know what that's about. 
one, <laughs> it's different, so I like that. Uh, little synaptic disconnect or something. Uh, and I held up three fingers there. I have no idea what's going on with this hand. One, do it because it's different. Different is good. And here's the thing. If you're a beginner at this, different is bad. Don't do different. So if this is new to you, practice it the way that's most comfortable, ascending, then descending. If you've done this a bit, practice it descending. One, because it's different. Two, because that's how we hear jazz musicians playing this scale. I haven't added it up, but I think like 75% of the time when you hear a blues scale or a fragment, it's very often descending. Open the Charlie Parker Omni book, open transcriptions of great bebop players, and you'll see lots of the times the scales are descending. There will be an arpeggio up and a scale descending. That's a huge generalization, but it's a good one and it's pretty correct too. So practicing these things descending and beginning to hear and see them that way, I think is really good. Okay, back to the sheet. Um, what I put down for uh, the third thing, I like the sound. So now for those of us that have these scales a little bit going on, I like the sound of continuing the scale past the root. So I just went around the circle of force, played some of the scales. But I played from the root, down to the root, but went past, went two notes past to the flat seven. So that gives it a very dominant sound. Dominant meaning flat seven. When we say something has a dominant sound, we're referring specifically to the flat seven, right? So that's already making this sound a bit like jazz vocabulary when you play. It's descending and then we're landing on that flat seven. That's a great sound. I've heard many of my heroes play that exact lick over a dominant seven chord, that exact thing. Cool, back to the sheet. And the fourth thing I have is something that I saw in one of the, one of the first jazz lessons I had up in Western Canada where I'm from. My uh, teacher uh, showed me this lick. And so David Baker, the great jazz educator, pioneer at Indiana University, uh, that was in you know one of his one of his early books on probably page one. Just a great classic little button, little end to that lick. And again, we hear now he he didn't compose that lick. I think I think he probably heard it. It was in the air. That was classic bebop vocabulary, and he codified it. He wrote it down. So that's a great thing. So no matter where you're at, now I, I started saying this progression for I, I started mentioning for teachers and for students. The progression I have here, it's very important that for someone that's never played a bebop scale, showing them the lick, that's a disservice, I think, unless they're quite advanced and somehow haven't seen the blues scale. For most of us, we're learning it ascending first because that's what we're used to. So use the technique you have. Then move on to number two. Now, let's play these scales you've been doing, but play them descending. It's actually shocking. It's like, I know the alphabet super good, like uh, very, very well. However, can I say it backwards? Hell no, I can't say the alphabet backwards. I've said it thousands of times forward. I could not possibly say it backwards. I know it in one direction. That's the way our brains work, right? So, likewise, playing a scale descending, it's not that big a deal, but it's gonna jam some people up. So that's why you should start with number one if that's where you're at. I think number two is great. That's a great place that I'd love you to get to. Number three is very, very good 
because that's already sounding like vocabulary. It's bringing out the dominantness of the scale. And then number four turns this into like real vocabulary that you can use. You can use any of it, right? So that's a really important thing not to jump ahead. A uh, little story. So yesterday I'm trying to fix my kid's bike and the derailleur is all jacked up and it's not switching gears and whatever. And I don't want to go pay like another 40 or 50 bucks, which I've done 20 times already with this damn bike. So, okay, bust out YouTube, which is what you're doing right now. And I found a really good video by a guy with, you know, great camera angles and, you know, really describing what's going on. And then the curse of knowledge kicked his ass. And so the curse of knowledge, look it up online. There are books written about this. This is an educational idea. It's a psychology idea that you can't not know what you know. I'm aware I know this stuff well. I'm aware you don't know it as well. But that doesn't matter. Just that intellectual knowledge. It's almost impossible for someone to put themselves in the headspace of not knowing something they already know. Don't kid yourself. It's almost impossible. Proven thousands of times with psychology exams and tests and everything else, okay? So in this video, this guy, it was, it was great. He was like at my level and I knew, and then he jumped in and was like, okay, now you just adjust this screw and whatever. It's like, whoa, 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 what, which of the 10 screws is this now? And I rewound, rewound it 20 times. I couldn't figure it out and I was done. I, I, that was it. I could do no more, right? And so a lot of teachers, get their ass kicked by the curse of knowledge and they'll jump in at number four. Or by the way, there's like 10 more steps we could go here that I didn't put on the sheet on purpose. I could put them on the sheet, but that's not where we're at, right? So everybody out there, including pros, can go over this stuff. And now if you're a pro and you're having practice number three, great, jump in there. You don't need one or two. You get the idea, right? So today we're talking about these bebop scales, but quick little aside into good education and frankly, just making yourself understood whether you're a teacher or not. As an adult student, cutting yourself slack that when somebody says, start here, they almost certainly jump to step number seven and you would be better served by starting at step number one or two. You'll get to number seven. You'll get there quicker than if you try to start there. It's a big deal. A lot of teachers get that wrong. Okay, so for today, that's uh, pretty much what I want you to do. So uh, write me if you want to get a hold of this PDF. Just send me an email at diggingdeeperjazz at gmail.com and I'd be happy to uh, send you this uh, PDF or any of the others. As I said, this is the first of three parts. Next time I want to get into articulation, which was another request by one of the viewers out there. So we're going to get, and that's really, really important. So please do tune in um, for articulation related to jazz in general, but it's fantastic for these bebop scales. The next video after that, the third video after that, we're gonna dig into major bebop scales. Yet another request. So I love that thousands and thousands of you are checking out these videos. That's fantastic. Um, I really do appreciate the comments. Please get in touch with me. You got the email address there. Sending out the PDFs. I love that. But I do want to know how this stuff's hitting you, what you're interested in doing. So please leave me a comment here on YouTube um, or whatever else. So thank you so much. I didn't mention it earlier, but these videos are always sponsored by Gonzalez Reads. And uh, that's what I'm playing here. So thank you so much for uh, tuning in. We'll see you next time.